Hello friends, this is Caleb Suko, and you're listening to The Gospel Today. In this episode, I want to share with you a sermon that I preached recently at our church here in Odessa, Ukraine, called Odessa International Fellowship. We had our opening service just late last year in October, so our church is very new. And as I was thinking about the beginning of our church, I thought I wanted to preach through a book that would be simple, straightforward, and that would also be applicable to foreigners. And so we chose the book of James. We'll be going through the book of James because James is really written to people that had, to Jews that had scattered throughout the countries around Israel, around Judea at that time period. And they were living as foreigners in those countries. And in one sense, we are all foreigners and pilgrims here on this earth, aren't we? But especially for our church, Odessa International Fellowship, our church is made up of people from a lot of different countries. We have South Africa, Nigeria, Cameroon, Ghana. We have, of course, Ukraine, United States, and quite a few countries, India, quite a few countries that are represented in our little church. And so we've been going through the book of James, and it's been such a blessing to look at the way he just really straightforward way in which he presents the Christian life. So in this sermon that I'm going to share with you today, it is on temptation, and I hope that it is a blessing to you. I want to remind you that we are serving here and teaching the Bible to the best, the best that we can, and we... Now, rely on your prayers and your support for that. So you can always check out our website, sukofamily.org. If you're interested in getting prayer updates, go to sukofamily.org slash pray. And if you would like to give a donation to help us continue doing what we're doing and ministering to people from all nations, you can go to sukofamily.org slash support. All right, friends, that is a real quick update for now. But let's get into this sermon called Temptation from the Book of James. I heard this little story recently. Johnny arrived at school one day and his teacher noticed that he didn't turn in his homework. And the teacher said, Johnny, where's your homework? He said, ma'am, it was so loud in my home last night. I couldn't do my homework. And of course she was curious, so she asked, well, why was it so loud in your home? And he said, well, the TV was on. And she said, well, trying to be helpful, well, Johnny, you could have asked someone to turn down the TV, couldn't you? And he said, no, there was no one else in the room. (laughs) And aren't we like that sometimes in temptation that we want to blame someone else. We, we want to make it someone else's fault or even just the TV's fault. It is that there's really nobody else in the room. There's no one else to blame except for ourselves. And James helps us understand that in our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Can you turn the screen to me so that I can see that? Yeah. 
So James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. James tells us, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Sorry, I went too far there, didn't I? There we go. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all creation. So James tells us very clearly here that when we are tempted, whose fault is it? It's our. It's our fault, right? When we are tempted, it is our fault. But before he says that, I want to point out something that I think is important here. He says that we will be tempted. Notice that he doesn't say, if you are tempted, does he? He says, when you are tempted. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Harry Houdini. He was a magician that lived, I think, uh, after the turn of the 19th century. And Harry Houdini was well known for getting out of all kinds of chains and coffins and things like that. But he was also known for a trick that he did where he would have anyone in the audience punch him in the stomach as hard as they could. And he was known for that. He was so well known for that that one day he had some students that he was teaching actually a, uh, a, as a guest professor, I think, in one of the universities. And he had some of his students come to his dressing room before he went out on stage. And he had hurt his ankle sometime earlier. And so he was laying down on the couch just kind of relaxing and talking to the students. And one student came up to him. His name was Jay Gordon Whitehead. And he asked him, is it true that you can withstand any punch that someone gives you in the stomach? And of course, he said, yes. And immediately he gave him four or five really strong, well-placed punches right in the gut. Well, he wasn't ready for it. And of course, it caused a lot of pain, but he thought maybe he would be okay. He went on and he did his performance that night, but later he began to experience pain. And eventually, I think a couple of days later, he went to the hospital. His appendix had burst, most likely from those punches. And it was too late. He died. He died of just a few simple punches in the stomach. Why? That was the difference of being ready and not being ready. He was not ready. And so when James tells us here, he says, when tempted, we need to take note to know that we will be tempted. Too often, we go around just thinking that, hey, I've got this all under control and not giving any thought about the temptations that might be in store for us. And I think James wants to make sure that we know that we will be tempted. It's not if, but it is, it is when. Look at what... Uh, Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if you went outside 
at night when you were camping and you knew there was a lion out there, would you be alert? You'd be very alert, wouldn't you? You'd be listening to every little sound, every little, you know, I, I used to do a lot of gardening. Uh, I had a little gardening business where I'd mow people's lawns and things like that. And one thing that I, I don't have that many fears, I guess, but one thing that I really don't like is snakes. I don't know if you like snakes. I don't like snakes. And so, but usually I wouldn't be thinking about it too much. And I'd be just busy trimming, cutting. And then all of a sudden there would be a snake and it would usually be like right next to my foot. And it, it just puts you in fear. It startles you. And then after that, the rest of the day, I would be carefully looking wherever my feet would step. Because I didn't want to step on a snake. I didn't want to come unprepared to a snake. And so this is a good picture for us also, the, the lion. Are you prepared for temptation? Are you, are you looking for temptation? We need to be on the lookout for temptation. But really, James' main point here is, is what he says next. He says, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And this is really, I think, important for us to remember. And first of all, we need to remember the difference between testing and tempting. There is a difference between testing and tempting. Uh, there is this, this show in the United States. It's called Bait Car. Has, has anyone watched that show, Bait Car? So I haven't watched it for a long time. Nicholas, you have? Okay. So the, what the police do is they have this special car that has cameras in it. And it has a system that they can remote, remotely shut the engine off and lock all the doors. And they take this car, and it's some sort of a decent looking car. They take this car, they drive it to an area where they know a lot of cars have been stolen. And they park it there, and then the guy just sort of nonchalantly leaves. And maybe he leaves the engine running. Maybe he just leaves the door open a little bit. And then the police are watching with cameras, and they wait for someone to come and steal the car. And then when they steal it, someone, you know, obviously comes along, sees the keys are in it, like, hey, you know, why not take it? And so they get in, they start driving off, and then they get a mile down the road, and the police just shut off the engine and lock all the doors. And here's this thief thinking, what am I going to do now? I can't get out. And, of course, he's caught. You know, that's kind of, you know, a, what, what can you say, a, a debated means of catching criminals, uh, but sometimes I think that we think that God is like that. God is just kind of setting up bait cars for us. He's setting little traps for us. Let's, let's see how Caleb, you know, responds to this. Let me see if I can get him to get into that car and steal it. Let me see if he will fall for this temptation. And then when I do, bam, God is on me and he is punishing me. That's not how God acts. That's not how God treats us. God, thankfully, does not do what the police do in putting these bait cars out for us. And that, I think, illustrates also the, what we can say the difference between uh, tempting and testing. So tempting has the goal of getting someone to fall into sin. Testing, on the other hand, has the goal of strengthening our faith. 
And so we saw earlier in the book of James, or in this chapter, that James says, listen, your testing is good. It gives you patience. It strengthens your faith. You can have joy in testing. Testing from God is good. God tested Abraham, remember? And Abraham went to the mountain to sacrifice his son. That strengthened Abraham's faith. That was a faith-strengthening exercise. Testing strengthens our faith. Tempting, on the other hand, is designed to actually weaken our faith. It's designed to make someone fall into sin. So we see that God tested Abraham, right? But God, or but Satan, tempted Jesus. Because Satan's goal was to make Jesus fall into sin. Or you think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, we can see on a number of occasions that when they went to Jesus and when they asked questions of Jesus, they were trying to get Jesus to say something where they could catch him in what he said. In what he said. That is tempting. That's not what Jesus does, thankfully. It's not what God does. He does not tempt us. So... We need to understand that God does not tempt us. Uh, we'll see a different reason for that tempting a little bit later here. But I want to ask you, how, how do we blame God? Because maybe I, never, I would never blame God for anything. But I want to just suggest for you a couple of ways that we might blame God. And the first one is just by saying it's not fair. That's not fair. Why did that happen to me, right? It's not fair. Another way we can do it is by blaming the circumstances of our life. Well, you know, it's, it's a hardship that I have to do this, and so it's difficult for me, and that's why this happened. Or sometimes people say, well, I, just, I had no other choice. There was nothing I could do. I, I had to do that sin, whatever it was, because I just had no other choice. And the fourth thing that we sometimes say is that we blame God when we say, I'm just too weak. Yeah, I just gave in. I don't, I don't have the power. I don't have the strength to overcome the sin. Those are four ways that we can blame God, and I want to talk about each one in a little more detail. And so, if we look at it, the first one, we say, it's not fair, right? That's something that if you grew up in a household with a number of kids, you probably said or you heard a lot, right? That's not fair. Why did he get it and I didn't get it? That's not fair that she got more than I got. In fact, God doesn't treat us really as fair. He treats us as individuals, right? You're not the same as the person next to you. Why should God treat you the same as the person next to you? If God treated you the exact same way as the person next to you, guess what? That actually wouldn't be fair, would it? Even with my kids, I can't treat them all exactly the same. Because they're different. They're different characters, they're different personalities, they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses. And so there is a difference in how I treat them. God treats each of us personally and uniquely. And that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. So let's not see God. And that's what we do sometimes, unfortunately. We say, you know, I only steal because I don't have enough money. Because God didn't provide for me. I only look at pornography because I'm lonely. Because God is not enough for me. I only overeat because I'm stressed. Because I don't believe that God is really controlling everything. I only yell at my kids because they're disrespectful. I only whatever you do because of whatever situation you find yourself in. 
How are you justifying your sin based upon your circumstances in life? God allowed those circumstances in your life. Don't use them as a way to justify your sin. Otherwise, you are blaming God. Just like Adam shifted the blame to Eve and then to God. But we also blame God when we say that we didn't have any choice. You know, it was, it was just, there was no other solution. I had to do this thing. And that's also blaming God. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure. And so whenever you think of a temptation, we often think of a temptation as a, like a dead end. You know, like we're going that direction and there's no way out. And honestly, sometimes there are situations in life where we look at it and we see no way out unless we cheat Unless we're dishonest, unless we do something that we know that God doesn't want us to do, we're like, that's the only way out. I have to do it. You know, and God wants us to look at those situations and trust Him. God is going to provide a way out. Think about how Abraham felt when he was climbing that mountain with his son to sacrifice him and think, there's no way out. Do you think that Abraham believed there was a way out? He did. Because he believed that God could even bring his son back to life. So he believed that if I do the right thing, God will provide a way out. And God provided a way out. What situation in your life do you look at and think, you know, I just have to do the wrong thing there because there's no way out. Start trusting God and I can guarantee you that God will provide a way out. God specializes in those impossible situations. In fact, if we didn't have those impossible situations, it's very unlikely that we would even trust God. I'd be like, yeah, it's nice to have you there, but I don't really need you. We need Him in those difficult situations so that we understand that He does give us a way out. And then the fourth way that we blame God is we blame God if we claim that we are too weak to overcome temptation. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, our problem is we just say I'm weak. And we put a period at the end of it. We need to say, I'm weak, so I'm strong in Christ. You see, by yourself, yes, you are weak. But when you realize that you, as a weak person, are in Christ, then you have strength. So your weakness is not a, an excuse to give in to temptation. Your weakness is the reason why you can have strength in Christ. And unless you recognize your weakness... You actually can't have strength in Christ. So we need to recognize our strength, our weakness, but not use it as an excuse to fall into sin. So those are the number of ways that we can blame God. And I just want to, to say here that, that blaming God, uh, it, it is dangerous for us. It is a very dangerous activity. When, we, when I blame God, what do I do? I turn myself into the judge. I have to justify myself. 
And I become the judge, and I become the jury in my own court case, which will always lead to a mistrial. Instead, I need to own my sin, look my own sin in the face, and admit that that is my sin, and it is my responsibility, and then turn to Christ, who is the only one who can truly justify me. When I blame God, I am saying false things about Him. And thus, I'm eroding, I'm damaging my own faith in God. When I blame God, I am refused, um, I, be, I adopt a victim mentality. You know what a victim mentality is? It's a person that always goes around and says, well, you know, if it weren't for this, everything would be better. If that didn't happen, I'd be happy. If this didn't happen, I'd be a lot richer. And they just, they're always a victim of all the circumstances around them. God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to have victory over sin. And finally, when I blame God, I'm refusing the help that God wants to give me to overcome temptation. So we cannot blame God. We need to look and understand, look at sin and understand it correctly. And to do that, uh, we need to do these things. And then also, James tells us about where this temptation really comes from, right? He says in verse 14 and 15, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. Where does sin come from? It comes from our own desires. It starts on the inside, and it goes to the outside, and it results in death. This is a very instructive and helpful thing that James gives us, because it is sin condensed. Our problem is that we only see the good part of sin, right? We only see the beginning of sin. Which entices us. It says, this is going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be tasty. And we always see that. And what we need to see is the whole thing. There's a desire. There's enticement. Then there's action. And then there's death. And when you take that whole thing and condense it down and realize, that is death for me. That helps us to avoid it when we see the beginning from the end, right? So... How can we avoid these sins? Look what Proverbs 4.23 says. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And he's not talking about getting, you know, making sure that you're not emotionally damaged from some relationship here. He's talking about keeping the thoughts, the motives, the intentions of your heart pure and holy before God. Thinking truth, believing truth, and loving truth. So keep that in your heart. That is what will keep you from sin. That is how we guard ourselves from sin. How do we do that today? There's, there's three primary ways that we do that today. Through His Word, through His people, and through His Spirit. His Word helps us to do that. It changes us from the inside out. When we are with His people, when we hear the preaching of the Word, when we encourage each other, when we pray for each other, later we will talk about the F in Odessa International Fellowship. Fellowship, the idea of, of worshiping together, praying together, encouraging each other. That is what God's people can do for you. That is why it's important to come together. We need that strengthening each week. 
And, of course, thankfully God gives us His Holy Spirit who works on the inside, who gives us that little voice. <clears throat> Caleb, this is a place that you shouldn't go. This is something you shouldn't get involved in and helps us to avoid those sins. <clears throat> Further on here, we see that we should not be deceived. Verses 16 and 17, James simply says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. We need to realize that in the end, all sin, small, medium, and large, is deception. It deceives us about what kind of experience we will receive. It deceives us about its quality. It deceives us about its origin. It deceives us about the result of that sin. But ultimately, all sin deceives us about God. And it deceives us about His desires for us and His nature. Sin is deceptive. It promises, but it never delivers. Remember what Satan said to Eve? He said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. What was he, what was he promising? You're going to be God. Eat this and you'll be God. That was a deceptive promise, wasn't it? You have a question, Nicholas? Well, when he said that, he did tell the truth, but he didn't tell the other part. Well, but yeah, but it was... God knows that you, your eyes will be open. It's true, right? He only told the good part. Okay? Only the good part. And you will be like God. But I don't think that they were like God in the way they thought, right? Yeah. yeah. So, if you ever go to a fast food place and you see their commercials, sometimes it's kind of like this, isn't it? <laughs> like you see the commercial, like, wow, that looks good. And then you get this and it's kind of, it's kind of squished and this paper thing. You're like, wait a minute. That looked really good, but what I got was something different. False advertising. That's what sin is. It's always false advertising, but it's much worse than that. Because this is at least still a hamburger, right? It's not poison. I mean, okay, maybe it's not very good for you, but you probably knew that anyway, right? I remember when my kids were little, thankfully they don't do this anymore. But actually, I remember, especially our, our oldest one, when we lived, we lived in the U.S., we lived in the city there, and I remember we'd go out, and people smoke, and they throw their cigarette butts on the pavement, right? And when you're one and a half or two years old, those cigarette butts, butts look very enticing. <laughs> and sometimes our kids would just pick them up, and I could just see them pick them up, and the mouth would open, and, and I would run to them, no, don't eat that, right? I mean, would you eat that? Would you buy that in the store? And, and, and here's, here's the ironic thing. I would grab a hand, take the cigarette butt out, and then what would happen? I wanted to eat that! You know, they, they think that they're missing out on something really good because they've never tried to eat a cigarette butt in their life. Like, no, you don't want that. Just don't. Don't eat that. It's not good for you. And so often we think of sin that way. Like, oh, come on. I just want to try it just once. And God's like, no, don't do it. It's not good for you. The problem is we don't really, if we viewed sin that way, we wouldn't partake in it, would we? But we view sin as that nice hamburger that some fast food joint is offering us. 
We need to change our minds. We need to change our perceptive when we think about sin. And then finally, we need to not forget the family that we are a part of. How many of you, when you left home or after you left home, your mom or your dad or somebody else said, don't forget where you came from? Anyone? Anyone? That don't forget where you came from. Yeah. Why do you think they're saying that? They're a little worried about you. They're like, you know what? Don't forget. Remember those values and principles that we taught you. Don't let go of them because we know that you're in a place where maybe there's people that don't have those values and principles. Family is a really important thing when it comes to avoiding Avoiding temptation. James says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. He gave us birth. We're part of His family, right? Family is an important thing. Family helps us to avoid temptation. Family reminds us that we have others to be accountable to. Family shows us that our sin can negatively affect other people. Family gives us encouragement to resist sin. Family allows us to rest from the sinful world. We talk about the black of our logo, right? Where do we rest from that? When we come together with families, when we come together as the church, we can rest from that a little bit. We can rejuvenate, get strengthened, and so that we can go back and we can face it successfully. And so James is reminding us, what family are you a part of? Maybe you're a long way from your biological family, but God has given you a family. God has given you a family in the church. He's given you brothers and sisters who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can give you good advice. As Christians, we need to remember that we belong to the family of God. For the Christian, this is... Not just having other people who can give them, you know, encouragement every once in a while, but it means that we have a Heavenly Father who cares for us. And then all we do, we are representing Him. You're representing the family that you came from. You're representing the culture that you came from here. But don't forget that you're representing Christ. And that knowledge helps us to avoid sin. God has given us great riches in Christ as part of the family of God. So, as we think about these things, let's think about some questions that, that can help us to um, analyze our own hearts, I guess we could say. And we can ask ourselves, what are the greatest temptations for you now? Think about that for a moment. What are the greatest temptations for you now? And I, I don't want, you know, a lot of times when we think about temptation, we just think about like sexual temptation, you know, some of the real bad ones. But you know, maybe you just have a temptation to anger. Maybe you have a temptation to bitterness. Maybe you have a temptation to overeat. Maybe you have a temptation to... I don't know what it is. What temptations are you facing right now? Are you daily preparing yourself for those temptations? Are you on the lookout for those temptations? Or are you blaming God? Or someone else? Or something else for those temptations? 
Think about what are the long-term results if you give in to that temptation? What kind of destructive effect could it have on your life and the lives of others? But then positively, let's also think about this. What can you do today to avoid this temptation? Is there, is there a change you need to make in your schedule? Is there a change you need to make in your life, in your habits? Is there a change that you can make to help you avoid this temptation? What can you do today to avoid this temptation? Who can you talk to to help you with this temptation? Maybe somebody in this room that might help you do it. How can you pray against this temptation? And finally, what verses of Scripture might strengthen you? Use God's Word. There was a number of verses that I shared in this sermon that can be helpful, including James 1, 13-18, but also... Um, I think 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where Paul talks about my grace is sufficient for you, or 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where he says, no temptation has taken you, but what is common to mankind. Learn those verses. Memorize those verses. Or maybe Psalm, uh, Proverbs, or Psalm 19 that we read talks about God's word and how it helps us to avoid sin. Those are all really powerful verses that we can use in our life to avoid temptation. So, we're going to pray about this. And what I do, like we've been doing for the past couple of weeks, pray in groups of three or four. 